A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 106 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page, at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse that we all deserve, Mark Hurlman. And with me like a night piece from a chessboard on all my favorite comics, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey everybody, that's right, welcome to the final episode of, okay, no, not the final episode, but certainly there's a lot of doom and gloom out there at this point. We're hopefully going to be able to separate out the, the good from the bad this time around. That's right. We do have a few things really quickly to hit here, um, kind of as a preface before we go into the main discussion. One is that, yes, we are still working our way towards Star Wars Vector, the big cross-through or crossover, whatever you want to call it. Um, we were going to cover the next arc of uh, Legacy on our way to Vector this week, but of course with this big announcement finally hitting that really didn't surprise anyone, um, we are pushing that Legacy coverage back, so you'll see our coverage of the next one, the next uh, Legacy arc that is, next week, and we continue on from there. We basically have two arcs of Legacy, and or at least two trade paperbacks of Legacy, and one of Rebellion, and then we are ready to go for Vector. Uh, speaking of pushing things back, we actually have a couple of dates we want to tweak for our contest to give some folks more time to enter because my dates got a little bit scrambled in my head. So here's what's going on right now for the contest, and we'll go ahead and announce the new one uh, right here. First off, uh, depending on when you hear this episode, uh, I think at the time you hear this, you probably will no longer have time to enter in to win a copy of Crucible. The copy of Crucible, you have to enter by January 10th. If this is released on Friday the 10th, you may still have a few hours if you're hearing this early. Uh, either way, if you were to enter for that, the email address for all these contests is swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And you have a different word to put into, or title, to put into the subject line, but the body of each just needs to be your name and mailing address. Any other details we can take care of with you later. So if you're entering for Crucible, the subject line is Crucible. Again, got to be in by midnight Eastern time on January 10th. For both copies of Preludes, the uh, out-of-print original version and the newer version with the newer cover of Wars the Battle of Phobos, Preludes, um, that's the one that's got my story, Healers and Hunters, in it. To get both of those signed as one package, you can enter by January 17th with a subject line preludes and your address and such in the body. And then there's two that we need to kind of push back because we wound up doubling up the dates. Uh, preludes was already set as a deadline of January 17th, and then I said the 17th again for scoundrels. So we'll take the next two and push them back by a week. So if you want to win a copy of Scoundrels in hardback, Timothy Zahn's Star Wars novel, his most recent one, that one... The new date to enter by is January 24th, and for that one, include Scoundrels as the subject line. 
And then last time around, we introduced a new contest for a signed copy of the Equals and Opposites comic pack. In other words, the Star Wars Tales number 21 comic pack that has just my story in it, and then the two action figures, Kyle Katarn and the Yuuzhan Vong, based on it. Um, whether I sign the comic or sign the bubble itself and that sort of thing, that's up to whoever it is that wins. But to enter in for that one, you want to put Equals and Opposites 1, make sure you have the 1 in there, in the subject line, and of course, again, your name and address in there, in the body. In that case, you need that entry in by January 31st. Originally, I said 24th. Again, we were a week off. I want to make sure everybody has a fair amount of time for this. So the 31st for that one. Um, so far, we have given away a copy of Mercy Kill to Drew Nick, as announced last time around. And this time, I'm pleased to announce that Greater Good, the first signed copy of Greater Good of two that we're going to be giving away, goes to Jared. I believe it's Hotard. It's either Hotard, Hotard. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it here. It's H-O-T-A-R-D. Um, so Jared H. out there. Uh, is getting a copy of Greater Good signed by its author, which happens to be me in this case. Um, we do have several more giveaways to go, and this time we have what, Mark? Well, we have Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void, uh, another one of those books that we got early from our publishing uh, friends over there at Random House. That's right, and a copy of Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void also means you get the short story Eruption, which is also included in that hardback. To enter for this one, very simple. Email swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Make your subject line into the void and make sure you put your name and mailing address in the body. In this case, you want to make sure your entry gets in by February 7th at midnight Eastern Time. That is midnight that night. So I guess technically it's 12 a.m. Saturday the 8th. Uh, and I just want to apologize real fast if my voice is a little uh, hoarse right now. Uh... I've got a little cold coming on, plus we've got a uh, serious family tragedy, actually, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, we got uh, basically like my niece, my sister's best friend, uh, her little girl, uh, same age as Jaina, in fact. You know, these girls are all like cousins. Well, two of them are cousins, and this one in particular is like an adopted family member. And uh, yesterday, she had to go life flight. They life flighted her up to Portland, up to uh, Dornbecker's, because she went into a diabetic coma. Uh, she started out sick and then boom, she just went into this diabetic coma and Dornbecker's was saying it's the worst they've ever seen. Uh, and to, to basically pray for a miracle. So we've been, uh, you, you may have seen it on our Facebook page, you know, may the force be with Emma, a little hashtag and stuff. I mean, any prayers, positivity, anything you can do, uh, would be very, you know, helpful. They're, they're just one of those situations where the family is just waiting and hoping to God that their little baby pulls through. And, you know, I mean, for me, it's 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 surreal because these little girls were all just playing together just, you know, four days ago, you know, and it could have just easily been my little girl that got this and came down with it and be lying, you know, in a coma right now. And so any of you beyonders out there, you know, would like to retweet any of those posts or, you know, hashtag it out there. May the force be with Emma. It would be just really great and help lift the spirits of the family and everybody over here because there's really not much I can do to help. You know, I'm watching uh, kids and stuff with my father while my sister and my mom are up helping them all up in Portland right now. But it, it's just a, a terrible, terrible thing. And, and, you know, my heart's just with them. So if my throat is tore up, that's, that's why. And so far, I mean, I got to say, I mean, just knowing from our own personal medical stuff with Jody and all, this is, I, I've been shocked. I guess I shouldn't be um, at just the, the outpouring of well wishes that this community tends to give when we see something 
or, or someone essentially in trouble. Um, so I would imagine there's probably a lot of listeners out there at this point that are, um, that are, that are sharing those concerns. I know one of our listeners who's been around for a while, uh, Chris Walker, certainly very active in, in prayer requests and stuff like that, especially with the church that he attends and such. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder about the recent announcement that Dark Horse Comics will no longer be providing us the Star Wars comics that many of us have known and loved. That's right, Dark Horse out, Marvel in. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right. I guess it's, it's sort of back to Marvel, but we'll we'll get into that Marvel's uh, pedigree and everything. To save Mark's throat here, uh, he was originally going to be reading our press release or the press release uh, for Star Wars fans that came out through StarWars.com. I'll go ahead and uh, read it at this point. Uh, the big announcement came on January 3rd, which is this past Friday, and it says, Disney's Lucasfilm and Marvel Entertainment joined forces to publish Star Wars comics and graphic novels with the subheadline... Jedi, Sith, and the rest of the Star Wars universe come to Marvel Comics in 2015. Press release reads, The Walt Disney Company's Lucasfilm Limited and Marvel Entertainment are joining forces to bring new Star Wars adventures to readers across the galaxy, with Marvel granted exclusive rights to create and publish Star Wars comics and graphic novels beginning in 2015. The agreement marks a homecoming for the Star Wars comic books. Marvel Comics published the first Star Wars comic book, Star Wars No. 1, in March 1977 which went on to sell more than one million copies. Marvel Comics published its Star Wars series for nine years. In 1991, Dark Horse Comics took over the license, publishing fan-favorite titles like Dark Empire and Star Wars Legacy. Last year, Dark Horse released The Star Wars No. 1, an adaptation of George Lucas's original rough draft screenplay for the film, garnering rave reviews and national media attention and ranking among the top-selling Star Wars comics of all time. Dark Horse Comics published exceptional Star Wars comics for over 20 years, and we will always be grateful for their enormous contributions to the mythos and the terrific partnership that we had, said Carol Roeder, I believe that's how you pronounce it, R-O-E-D-E-R, director of Lucasfilm Franchise Publishing, Disney Publishing Worldwide. The quote continues, In 2015, the cosmic adventures of Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewbacca will make the lightspeed jump back to Marvel to begin a new age of adventures within the Star Wars universe. Another quote, we here at Marvel could not be more excited to continue the publication of Star Wars comic books and graphic novels, said Marvel Worldwide publisher and president Dan Buckley. The perennial brand of Star Wars is one of the most iconic in entertainment history, and we are honored to have the opportunity to bring our creative talent pool to continue and expand Star Wars into galaxies far, far away. You know, I gotta say, all these little twists of phrase, we're gonna expand it into galaxies far, far away. We're bringing it to readers across the galaxy. You know what? Stop while you're ahead. You're not gonna publish comics for people living in, what, you know, the far end of the spiral arm or something, <laughs> and you're certainly not going to be sending Star Wars characters and stories into galaxies far, far away unless they are leaving the galaxy far, far away, which is the setting of Star Wars. Anyway. Well, I thought it was the jump to hyperspace, not the jump the light to speed light speed. jump. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I mean, boy. Now he does say, you know, prepare for the jump to light speed. I think that it's said at one point. Um, well, I've always been curious about that, too, because that's been taken different directions. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the press release continues with uh, yet another quote here. We're incredibly excited by this next chapter in the Star Wars saga, said Andrew B. Sugerman, S-U-G-E-R-M-A-N, Executive Vice President of Disney Publishing Worldwide. Bringing together the iconic Lucasfilm and Marvel brands to tell new stories will allow us to continue to thrill lovers of the original Star Wars comic books and entertain generations to come. Boy, as a side note, do I hope that bringing together the iconic Lucasfilm and Marvel brands just means Star Wars comics by Marvel as opposed to meaning crossovers. Um, We'll talk about that. Marvel, and this is finally not a quote here, Marvel has continued to push comic book publishing forward with innovations and experiments like motion comics and digital-only releases, in addition to its deep, ongoing catalog of monthly series and graphic novels created by some of the industry's most gifted artists and writers. StarWars.com. All Star Wars, all the time. Which they've started adding to all of their news releases. I like that, though, because they should. (laughs) You know, this was one of those things where I believe I've been probably one of the uh, worst offenders of the doom and gloom market. I mean, I'm not trying to be, but Dark Horse Comics has been near and dear to me for a while. I mean, Dark Horse is the Star Wars comics that I jumped into. You know, I've I've mentioned it before. I came into the middle of KOTOR, uh, the beginning of the Legacy series, and then started, you know, doing my hunt backwards and so forth with that. So, you know, yeah, it obviously comes as no surprise that, you know, I'm a little trepidatious. Uh, but I, I have on multiple times said, you know, if they were to be forward about what is going on with the expanded universe, that sea level continuity that I know and love, I would be okay with this. You know, if they want to do a reboot, if they want to do a, a alternate universe, whatever it is, tell us ahead of time so we can digest it and take this stuff the way we should be taking it. I mean, I'm having a hard time swallowing this because... It does seem doom and gloom because they haven't told me what's going to happen. And all you can think of is, well, there's a lot of possibilities out there, good and bad. But it seems like everybody's focused on the bad ones. Uh, you know, you were mentioning that the Star Wars has had nothing but but rave reviews. And yet fans seem to think that Dark Horse got the nail because they ran out of ideas and went back to the original drafts. It's like, no, who was who's mentioning this? Like, where is this idea coming from out of left field? That's not it at all. I mean, it's getting rave reviews. So it's easy to fall into that doom and gloom category, that, though I don't see myself necessarily as doom and gloom. It's I have no clarity and they're not giving me clarity, which makes it hard when the universe in Star Wars that I enjoyed the most was the sea level canon and I'm getting no word whatsoever. And it's just looking like negative in the aspect of we were told there was going to be a camp duology. We were told there was going to be a, a Sword of the Jedi trilogy and these books are not canceled per se, but are on a hold that looks like canceled and everyone's leaning towards canceled. So it's like, okay, if these books were promised to us at one point and they decided to cancel them, flat out call it what it is, let us know what's coming, or produce those products that you said you were going to give us and then do the reboot. I would be totally fine with all this stuff if I knew what the heck was going on. I don't, and other fans don't, and this is the frustrating part of it. Okay, so so I hope you beyonders out there understand that any negativity you're getting from me in this regard is the lack of clarity because there's all sorts of options out there. And if we do stick with the old broken Lucas model of retcon, what comes today to fix tomorrow, it will still work. It's just going to be a lot of banging our heads on the desk that I really would have hoped that with the moving of the company to Disney, that we'd have gotten away from that. We had an opportunity to fix 
a system that is broken because anytime you have to go backwards and, and, and fix things to make it all work still is a broken system. You should be trying out of your way when you're in the creative process to make it work the first time. Now, if continuity is too big to do that and we need to reboot it, so be it. But again, I need that clarity. You know, for me, seeing the license jump uh, from Dark Horse, I mean, it's a it's a surreal kind of thing, I guess. Uh, or I guess it was surreal when Lucasfilm was bought by Disney. And then it became sort of the obvious, well, duh, Lucasfilm owns Marvel. So, of course, at some point when the contract comes up for renewal, it's going to jump to Marvel. The question was more a matter of when rather than if it seemed like most of the time. Um, my first Star Wars comics that I ever read were actually some of the old Marvel stuff. Um, it was the, gosh, I think it was the second issue of the adaptation of Return of the Jedi I bought in that little mini-series, that little four-issue mini-series that they did, and then I wound up getting one of the magazine-sized ones that has the entire adaptation in it, the blue cover one, which is in horrible shape sitting in my back room at this point. Um, but the first expanded universe story that I ever read, that is a story that was not a film adaptation, was a Marvel Star Wars issue number 82, Diplomacy. And I still have that comic. I've got a crappy beat-up one, and I've got a better copy that I got many years later when I bought the entire Marvel series. Um, and The Marvel comics always kind of had a different feel than anything that Dark Horse did. You can tell that now if you look back and you check out either the original Marvel issues, maybe you go back and you're checking out uh, the classic Star Wars a long time ago, black and white prestige format series, the trade paperback version under the same name that was color that had the entire series, or those more recent Star Wars omnibus a long time ago sets, all of which are different variants of going back and just reprinting the Marvel stuff, but being done under Dark Horse. Um, if you were to go back and check those out, yeah, they have a very different feel to them, but I'm not sure if that's because it's Marvel so much as, you know, it's the time period. That was the late 70s going into uh, the 80s. Marvel had the Star Wars license for quite a while. A um, little disingenuous to say that it was around for nine years. It, the license was that that particular Star Wars series wasn't. Marvel produced basically a regular series of 107 issues, starting in 1977, ending in 1986. Um, that series also had a four-issue Return of the Jedi miniseries that was taken out of the main run, whereas the adaptations of A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back were actually built into the series run. And then you had three annuals, and annuals are usually thought of as part of that main series run, just special issues. So actually it winds up being about 114 issues all told when you lump that all together. And then Marvel's Kitty imprint at the time, Star Comics, produced two series. Eight issues of droids, 14 issues of Ewoks, which are very Kitty-type fare based on the cartoons. Uh, and that carried the license over until those ended in 1987. Uh, there were Star Wars comics in late 87 and early 1988, but those were Blackthorn publishing Star Wars 3D comics. Um, Marvel also, during its run, was producing stuff in the UK, sometimes with original stories. Some of those original stories showed up here in the form of Marvel Illustrated Books numbers 1 and 2. They did a lot of reprints of things, uh, of the comic adaptations of the films as Marvel Illustrated version of Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there were some times where they had Star Wars stories in things like their Pizzazz magazine. But for the most part, Marvel had sort of that core series and just a few little oddball things circling around it from time to time. Um, but I followed at least part of it. I got a few. It's where I first ran into Lumaya, of course, um, as everyone did, but I remember those issues. For me, with Dark Horse, 
I jumped in. I jumped into the the modern EU with Dark Force Rising in the books. Uh, around the same time, I was jumping into Dark Empire, and at that point, they were on the second printing of I think it was issues one through three or one through four, and then I picked up second printings of those and the first printings of everything uh, following after that as it went along. So I've been with the Dark Horse side of things since probably about 1992. They were the ones um, who gave me the first chance to do any published writing. I mean, I had written before for, you know, like my high school newspaper, which ironically I won a Harvey Award with, which is pretty big in Indiana, uh, right after being booted because I happened to tell the superintendent that he needed to publicly apologize to students for something. And generally you don't do that um, if you want to stay editor-in-chief. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I was someone who was doing, you know, kind of writing kind of off on the side just for fun, never really finishing a lot of stuff that I was trying to write. And then in comes Jeremy Barlow saying, hey, I've got the reins of tales. We knew it had gone off the rails. It had gone up to the rails to the point where they were going to cancel the thing. He says, you know, I've got it for at least another year. We want to make it more like in continuity, be a little bit clearer with it, less stories, more depth to the ones that are in there. You've got the chronology background. You've got the passion for it. You seem to be able to write from what I'm hearing of the audio dramas and stuff. So what do you say? Um, having that chance to write that story, and in the grand scheme of things, it was tiny. 14 pages in one issue of Tales. Yeah, it got the comic pack, but that wasn't because of me. That was because people wanted Kyle Katarn figures and Yujon Vong figures and such. Um, but that, to me, was a kick in the butt. It was sort of a, you know what, people might actually want to read something that I've written or might actually enjoy it. Maybe I should try putting something else out there. And that led me to do some self-publishing with Echoes and Greater Good. That got the attention between that and Tales of Grail Quest Books, which got me a chance to write a couple novellas for Wars, got a chance to publish Greater Good as a professionally published novel with a new afterword and everything. I mean, anything that I do when it comes to writing or the opportunities that I've had to help on things like the Essential Atlas, I owe that to Dark Horse's Star Wars line. And I, in a lot of ways, I owe that directly to Jeremy Barlow. Uh, who was at the time the associate editor of the Star Wars line. Um, it's had a profound impact on me in that sense, but also just from the so Star Wars saga standpoint, I mean, Dark Horse is the brand that has been putting out Star Wars comics pretty much on a monthly, often on a weekly basis since 91. Um, we can't say that there's that much of a continuity of publication um, from Del Rey going back to, to Bantam, which is got bought out by them. It's kind of all under Random House at this point. I mean, they are the ones that really kept things going on a regular basis. Novels come out, you know, a month or two at a time. Comics were coming out weekly or at the very least bi-weekly. Um, it's rare to see a week without a single Star Wars comic. So to see that move, that is a huge, huge deal. But then again, we're entering an era of new films and that was going to shake things up anyway. The Disney buyout and the idea of new films, they are going to shake things up, shatter them, switch them around anyway. If there was going to be a time where it made sense for the publisher jump to happen, this is it. And there was no more obvious move happening in the Disney deal than this one. There was nothing obvious about Disney picking up Star Wars to say they're going to have to make new films. There's nothing obvious about them picking up saying, you know, we're going to jump the book publishing because they're not nearly as big in the book publishing field as, say, someone like Delray and Random House are. Um, there was nothing to say when they bought out Lucasfilm that LucasArts would have to be shuttered down and basically just become a name. But this? A jump to Marvel? I, I, think, I think it was Rich Handley 
who said it well when posting an article about this on Facebook, said, uh, uh, Star Wars moves to Marvel. What a surprise, said no Star Wars fans whatsoever. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's some questions I have. I mean, you mentioned about some omnibuses. Now, omnibuses, that's that's not something that's just unique to Dark Horse, right? That's some that's just a format that all comics can do. I, I don't recall. I mean, I, I collect Marvel comics, but I don't realize off the top of my head, are there any Marvel omnibuses? I haven't gotten any. I think it just depends on what the title is. Um, there are some companies that prefer regular trade paperbacks. There are other ones that do omnibus editions and call them omnibus editions. Marvel had, you know, sort of the essential books way back in the day, which printed a lot of the early stuff of major heroes mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I, I mean, it's not so much an exclusive format, but it's just something that's with Star Wars we've seen just coming through Dark Horse. And Dark Horse makes their omnibus line look very uniform. So, you know, if I see an omnibus of aliens or a predator or a Buffy, that's yeah. going to look similar to an omnibus of Star Wars. Whereas, you know, other companies tend to make theirs... You know, you might see similarities in different, say, Spider-Man collected editions of different types that make it all look like one line. But I don't think there's any kind of uniform feel of, you know, a spy you know, with Marvel now, a Spider-Man omnibus or a Spider-Man big collected edition doesn't necessarily have to look like an X-Men one, look like a Star Wars one, look mm -hmm. like a whatever. See, I will miss that uniformity. I mean, because, like, I've got some Spider-Man books and stuff like that. Marvel's really good at making hardcover book editions of the comics or the trades in that regard. Uh, but, but, you know, you also mentioned, uh, you know, Delray and I recall, I would say maybe six months back, there was an announcement that, uh, I believe it was Hyperion, uh, is a Disney publisher and they're going to be taking over the publication rights of rebels. And, you know, when that came out, I, I just assumed, you know, Hey, this is probably what they did with the clone wars where they had, you know, the books came out that were just basically novel adaptations of each episode. And I was thinking, you know, it's probably gonna be the same thing, but. Maybe that is also one of those foreshaded clues that, you know, maybe Delray has something to sweat about as well. I mean, yeah, the Marvel one does seem the most obvious, but the thing that's telling to me is that they're waiting till 2015. And, you know, maybe that's coincidence. Maybe it's not, but it does seem like a prime opportunity that if you're going to reboot or create a new universe or whatever they're going to do, that 2015, the new films and the switch to Marvel, that might be the time for them to do all of that. Right. And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, we talk about this in relation to Del Rey because, yeah, Del Rey is in kind of that weird spot right now. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with them. They haven't announced anything. But as you said, the Paul Kemp duology, uh, he's basically said, you know, he's on standby, that he doesn't know exactly what's going on. It looks like it's kind of on hold. Um, Christy Golden said recently, um, I forget who too, about how she's not currently working on Sword of the Jedi, that it's basically sort of, it's another one that's just kind of up in the air at this point. Uh, my guess is both of those are pretty much dead, but if you look at the novel run of what's coming, um, this year, at least as far as what's announced, you've got Mall Lockdown, which comes out later this month. Um, very violent, but very good Mall tale. Um, not for the squeamish, by any means. It's by Joe Schreiber, which should be a given there. Uh, Honor Among Thieves, which I actually just started reading the arc of. So far, just the first few chapters by themselves are better than Razor's Edge was. Um, we have the, I guess it's, I'm not sure who the publisher is. I don't think it's actually Delray off the top of my head, but we have the next of the William Shakespeare Star Wars book, The Empire Striketh Back. Um, we have a paperback re-release of Into the Void. We have the paperback release of Crucible coming. Uh, the next of the William Shakespeare ones, The Jedi Doth Return. 
a reprint of Kenobi in paperback. Uh, and then the only other new Star Wars novel, beyond Honor Among Thieves, that, that's out there, that's announced, that we believe is actually still coming for sure, is Kevin Hearn's Luke Skywalker novel for Empire and Rebellion, the one that's basically meant to be very accessible, kind of open. Um, and that one is scheduled at the moment for January 2015. It not only said that in some of the original solicitations, um, if you look, if you've ever seen the inside of an, an ARC, an advanced copy, advanced review copy, or an uncorrected proofs copy of a Star Wars book with kind of that weird purplish cover, if you open those up, a lot of times the very first page actually is something that's not in the regular books, which is all sort of the, the text that the publisher would need to get to bookstores. So know how to order it, know how many to order, um, you know, what's going to be the big deal about this book, why should you carry it type stuff. And it also talks about um, that Luke Skywalker book, which at this point is untitled as being in 2014. It actually says it's the uh, second bullet point underneath their selling points. Says uh, the second of three new classic Star Wars adventures. Each will star the big three: Han, Luke, and Leia. And each will be written by a popular author new to Star Wars: Martha Wells, October 2013. That's Razor's Edge. James S. A. Corey, March 2014, which of course is Honor Among Thieves. That's also two authors there. That one I thought that was interesting that there's a pen name that two people have. I was like, oh, okay. That's right. And then you've got uh, Kevin Hearn. It lists as. January 2015. So not only is there a pretty big wait for that last Empire and Rebellion novel, but also, at least at the moment, it looks like Del Rey is going at least into January of 2015. So there's some question as to what they have left, but it's all winding down. With Dark Horse, as of the time we're recording this, as far as what's announced, they've only got 31 Star Wars comic issues left. 30 by the time this gets heard by the audience, because it'll be released after this Wednesday's new comic day. Um, Dark Times pretty much looks like it's done. The last issue said, if you look on the letters page, says, uh, let's see, uh, and then this is the final issue of Dark Times, for a while at least. So sad. We hope you've enjoyed this arc as much as we'd enjoyed working on it. Um, to me, given when this was released, this, the idea of saying final issue for a while at least is basically a way of saying, yeah, Dark Times is done, and this really does feel like a final arc of a series the way that it ends, um, as opposed to being, you know, hey, we're losing the license because they couldn't say it yet. Um, Dark Times seems like it's it's done. I think that was just evasive. I'm surprised they didn't say it was a satisfactory conclusion. <laughs> it actually, well, it actually kind of was a satisfactory conclusion this time around. I know. It would have actually been a just comment. <laughs> Uh, let's see, then you got the uh, Ewoks Digest. Uh, they said they were looking at Shadows of Endor not being by itself, that it would be part of a series. No more announced in that series thus far. Same thing with Clone Wars Digest. None announced uh, beyond the last one that we got about that Smuggler's Code thing. Um, looks like Star Wars Adventure is also pretty much dead. They've actually taken the six of those that were released and they're putting them in an omnibus form, so I'm assuming that does mean that that one is over. Um, Age of the Empire, we learned, was uh, confirmed as dead earlier. Uh, last year in 2013, it was confirmed as dead, so no more H in the Empire. Uh, Star Wars Volume 2 uh, by Brian Wood has uh, eight issues left as of this recording, um, seven as of this release, because number 13 is coming out this Wednesday as of we're recording this. Um, it's going to end with issue number 20, which should end around August. Um, we know for sure that at least the next couple of issues don't have Carlos de Anda's artwork, the one saving grace of the series. It'll be a Facundo Perico, which looks kind of bland seeing the preview pages. Um, but apparently they did say that this was only going to be a 20-issue series, 
back in March at WonderCon, which kind of threw me. Uh, uh, I learned that this was uh, locked in as t- number 20 being the last issue from uh, Henry Leventhal, who's a listener, if I'm pronouncing his name right, I'm messing up names like crazy tonight, uh, who passed along a Twitter post from Brian Wood where he had said it's going to end with number 20. And I think, honestly, if you're going to end Star Wars Volume 2 with issue number 20, then when it ends, we need to give it a new name. I mean, if we've got Star Wars Volume 1, the ongoing series from Dark Horse, eventually renamed Republic, I think... As a side note here, Star Wars Volume 2 needs to have its name. I think it should be called one of two things. It should be called either Star Wars Whatever, or um, <laughs> it should be called Star Wars F Continuity. In fact, you, you could do both. You could call it Star Wars Whatever and give it its new designation, not G, T, C, S, or N canon, but F canon. Um, F not meaning oh. fandom or fantastic, but F meaning exactly what they say when they write. F canon. Um, but that series <laughs> is gone as of number 20. Um, well, well, I just want to comment on that real fast, because if you knew it was only going to be 20 issues, you, you really, like, why didn't they just say, hey, this is the new Star Wars, you know, like, or just flat out say, hey, we're just going to, we're just going to bust stuff up. I mean, I don't understand why you would go out of your way to make these little continuity errors when... You knew there was only 20 issues like that, that. That's just when it was ongoing, like that made more sense. Like, hey, you know, we're not going to worry about it. But there was only 20 issues. We're talking what three, four top arcs here. Come on. <laughs> well, that's the thing that comes out. It's in, And we'll get back to the list here in a second. This idea that it seems like lately in some cases, it's like continuity doesn't really matter all that much. You know, Clone Wars came in and pretty much uh, put it this way. If a continuity error in, say, Star Wars Volume 2. Right, if a continuity error in there about, say, uh, oh wow, the executor is in use before it should be, or, you know, oh wait, how does Vader know Luke's name and what was the last story where he learned it and that kind of thing? Can they happen concurrently? Can they happen one after each other? How is this going to work? Uh, if some of the continuity issues it rose in there, uh, how do they name Rogue Squadron? Stuff like that is like taking a thermal detonator and throwing it in the middle of continuity. Then we got to admit that Clone Wars was basically strapping on a suicide vest going, <laughs> And diving in the middle of continuity and throwing it up. Um, but it seems as though, especially once Clone Wars really got going, continuity has been looser and looser and looser, and we're seeing more and more errors creeping into things. Uh, I, we've got, for instance, one of the things I've had a conversation with, uh, I think I mentioned this before, with Jan Dersima about and with Leland Chi about, is they still haven't been able to get the date on the inside credits page of Dawn of the Jedi right. Um, they, that is having to possibly be tweaked as well anyway, because they didn't get the dates in Into the Void right for some things. Um, there was Jaina's age getting messed up in Crucible, which thankfully I caught, or somebody else caught possibly too, and sent into them for them to fix before publication. Um, and just recently, we've got Darth Vader in the Cry of Shadows, where they, the credits page says, the events in this story takes place... Now, subject-verb agreement. Probably important. The events in this story takes place... That by itself is an issue. Uh, but the events in this story take place, takes place several months before and a few months after the events of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Except the story itself talks about there being at least a two-year gap between the two sets of events. So, <laughs> that's wrong. Um, I mean, there are issues, let's say. Um, but it's kind of one of those things where you got to wonder with Volume 2... If it really was, as Rob Mullen suggested, if it really was something that was meant to be a separate continuity, a, a reboot, and then they turned around and then said, nope, sorry, we got to find a way to work it in, they kind of shied off from it. If this really was 
the writing on the wall that Marvel was going to be taking it over, why not do it as a separate company? Why not make it just something just cool and goofy and infinities and that's it? Or why not in the last issues perhaps tell us, yeah, this was all just a separate continuity anyway? Because at this point, why care? I mean, I guess they could say, you know, well, yeah, before Marvel came in, it was all one continuity. But, I mean, if you got stuff like this going on anyway, say it blatantly. Um, but we'll see. So anyway, uh, so Star Wars, whatever, is apparently going to be ending around August with issue number 20. Um, speaking of another series, it'll be ending right around August. Legacy Volume 2 is going to be ending right around August. That one also has eight issues left. Um, uh, Henry Leventhal provided info again because of a Twitter post uh, that had confirmed that, yes, this is only going to be 18 issues long. I believe it was Carlos Munoz. Um, who did confirm by talking to one of the creative team that basically issues um, 16 to 18 are going to be a final arc, and then 11 to 15, the ones that actually start very, very soon that we've already got that preview image of, that's its own arc called Wanted Anya Solo. So we're going to have Wanted Anya Solo and then and a currently unnamed final arc. It's going to be kind of small, just three issues, but they are going to get to actually wrap the series up as opposed to having it just end as a case maybe but that's another one apparently we're at WonderCon back in March they said it was only going to be 18 issues now I never saw anything from WonderCon saying this will be 18 Star Wars volume 2 will be 20 but apparently that's out there because that's what's floating around social media wise right now that yes this was announced it's just that nobody apparently caught it back at WonderCon but I, I do like the fact that Legacy Volume 2 is going to get some measure of closure well, see, for me, I'm I'm conflicted because while it's getting closure, the legacy era is not unless they put out two issues, a 19 and 20 that dealt with Hondo Carr and what's going on with the Mandalorians. I, I mean, that was the obvious story that they were going to do in a legacy volume two because that story was already set up in legacy volume one. Hondo took off seeking Mandalore to kill Mandalore to take back the title or not take back, but to claim the title and to fix what was going on with the Mandalorians and bring back the honor to the culture. I mean, that was like the most obvious jump on point for the next series and they didn't go there. And I always assumed that they were going to get there eventually. Now I'm not so confident. It's like, come on, can we please get two issues that wrap that up? I mean, it wouldn't be hard. You, you put the whole story in there with what, four issues or five issues when you slid into Legacy 1 anyway? Yeah, I do not expect to see that storyline touched on at all. I mean, we may be surprised, but I'm doubting it. Uh, speaking of the people who created that storyline, though, uh, the duo of John Ostrander and Jan Dersima, uh, I've confirmed with Jan Dersima that yes, the issue she's working on right now, which is Force War number five of Dawn of the Jedi's third arc, that will be the last issue of Dawn of the Jedi. So Dawn of the Jedi gets uh, Force Storm, Prisoner of Bogan. It gets Force War, which is five issues. When that fifth issue is released on March 19th, barring any delays, it's done. And ironically, because she's at this point working with Dark Horse, uh, she's talked about how She's going to miss working on Star Wars, which makes it certainly sound as though she's not making the jump or anything like that to Marvel, that she'll be sticking with new projects with Dark Horse and whatnot. Uh, the irony there being that Jan Dersima's first Star Wars comic was one of my favorites, The Dream, from the Marvel Star Wars series. Uh, it's the one in which uh, Flint shows up as a Dark Lord in training, again, after appearing in one of the, the annuals. So... Dawn of the Jedi is going to be ending very soon at this point. 
And then you got some series that were always meant to be a limited series. We have The Star Wars, which now has four issues left. They've done one through four, and their zero issue just recently. Five through eight are still coming, should end around May. We have Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows, which has four issues left itself, issues two through five. That should end around April. And then in April, they have announced one new Star Wars publication that was not from a pre-existing series, and that's Rebel Heist which is going to start in April, run for four issues, should run through about July or so, which is sort of a story that has one broader story arc, but it's going to focus in the first three issues on, uh, I don't know what the order is, but like Luke, Leia, and Chewbacca, with Han bringing up the rear in the fourth issue and showing how all the events of the previous three issues all work together. Um, but beyond that, the only stuff that is on the schedule for Dark Horse at this point are omnibus releases of things and trade paperback releases of things. Uh, Henry... Leventhal, again, the person who brought us such good information as far as finding those t those Twitter posts to begin with, speculated, and I think he's probably dead on the money, um, that they're probably going to stop with new stories around probably August-ish, because if they don't, they wouldn't have time to do all of their collected editions of all of their finished storylines before they hit the end of December, and they're no longer allowed to publish them. So Dark Horse and Del Rey, but particularly Dark Horse, very much winding down, which suggests that the modern EU concept, in a lot of ways, is very much winding down at this point. But we have sort of a roadmap of at least where the comics are going. Well, even in the book aspect, the modern EU is winding down because all the books that are coming out all are based off of characters from the films. Not one of those books have EU characters as the main focus. I mean, granted, they bring in new characters to play counterpoint to the film characters, but only the Dark Horse comics line at this point is giving you new stuff about characters that aren't the big three. I mean, granted, there are some that are in there as well, but they've got such a, a, a buffet of Star Wars timeline goodness for you. That's the aspect of it that it's going to be weird for me to swallow. Um, you know, the other thing here is, you know, they, they use words like new age. And as a Marvel fan, you know, I, I mean, Nathan, I know you follow the ultimate Marvel, but Right now with the main Marvel line, they're doing a lot of that new age, like the heroic age and things like this. And they do kind of like a, a, a reboot without rebooting, in a sense. Like they'll reboot the numbers and then they'll give you a new origin story for like, like we'll take the Avengers, for example. Like I, I started following them with the mighty Avengers when uh, Tony Stark was in charge and then they went into Secret Invasion and he lost power. They put Norman Osborn in charge as the Iron Patriot and then it was the Dark Avengers for a while. Uh, and then it went into another one and it became a different one. And then Steve Rogers came back and then, you know, I mean, so it's like they, every time they'd reboot this, the series, it was like it kept going. But they would have like a whole new reason for that line to continue, kind of like what we see with arcs. But then they also have occasions where they'll just reboot everything and, and kind of like do like an origin story or like what DC did with their new 52. So you kind of have to wonder, like, is is the new age concept they're talking that here? Is this going to be one of those things where we're going to just see like like we've mentioned, you know, a whole new rebirth of a new phase in the expanded universe? I mean, is this going to be our, our third age of the expanded universe? I mean, it's interesting. And that's the thing. I mean, it's a question of how, you know, should continuity even continue? I mean, Marvel's thing originally was a lot looser. When Marvel was able to write Star Wars stories back in the day, there was no intent for the Marvel comics, the Del Rey novels at the time, the first time Del Rey had the license for the Star Wars novels, stuff like Splinter of the Mind's Eye, um, the things that were being produced in the newspaper strips and everything. Um, the LA Times Newspaper Syndicate, the Williamson and Manning stuff, uh, and Goodwin stuff. Um, none of that stuff was ever meant to really fit together. It was all just 
here's a product line based on one franchise, and that's it. It's handled like almost every other franchise in the world is handled. Here's just spinoff stuff, like it, don't like it, whatever. It doesn't necessarily fit together. We haven't seen Marvel do a take on Star Wars, at least, that is meant to be a unified approach with other media in that case, at least as far as Star Wars stuff is concerned. Um, but there's that question of whether or not they should be held down by what has come before. I mean, we already know the EU is 90%, probably 99% likely to take a massive hit by the release of Episode 7. It, unless they decide, and I can't imagine them doing it, to take Episode 7, 8, and 9 and base it on the EU as it exists right now, either based on a previously existing story or made to fit with it, which I can't imagine them doing because that's not accessible to broader audiences. And in films, it needs to be accessible. You can't waste a lot of screen time convincing people, you know, see, this makes sense, we promise. Um, it's going to be a major nuke into the continuity. You know, if we've got the hand grenade versus the, uh, uh, the suicide bomber, this is the nuclear bomb. Um, at some point, the continuity as it exists right now after Return of the Jedi will end and be sliced off and replaced by something new. I mean, imagine something as simple as Han and Leia, they never have children. Goodbye everything from Thrawn trilogy forward, pretty much. Um, we don't know how it's going to affect it, but we know it's likely to affect it. And now we've got these origin stories going back and something like an origin story for Yoda, never touched on, not a big deal. Han Solo, goodbye and Crispin books, probably. Um, an origin story for Boba Fett, which one of his origins are you going to wipe out this time? Which ones are you going to kick around? Um, but the more that they produce, I mean, at this point, the only stuff that seems like it may be safe is anything from the prequels backwards. And that does not a unified continuity make. Um, I would hope that they're not going to just say, we'll do like we've always done. It's all one continuity. If it doesn't fit, we're kicking it out. Now we're adapting to what is new because of how much is going to get lost. Um, in this case, it's very much like what the uh, Tea Party says about Obamacare. You say it's a broken system when talking about the way that continuity works for Star Wars and the way that they um, sometimes contradict and how they deal with that and how it's kind of a, a system that doesn't work the way it should, or at least it has some major flaws in it. Um, yeah, the zombie EU. Right. Um, I would say that the logical response to that is what the Tea Party says about Obamacare. Repeal and replace. Not, let's go in and fix it. Not let's go in and adjust what's already there because that's the, that is a continuation of the same flawed situation when it comes to continuity. In this case, if there's going to be that many big changes, you might as well start it back from scratch. You might as well start it off as something that is new. Um, a good example of continuity itself being something that is great and intricate, yet at the same time, incredibly hard to work with sometimes. This last weekend, uh, so a week before you're, you're hearing this episode, on Friday, January 3rd, I spent pretty much all day with Mall Lockdown, the advanced copy of Mall Lockdown. And that's been very helpful because not only do we get a chance to read it early enough that we can talk about it, review it and such fairly soon after release, but also I get a chance when, when I've got these early copies around to put stuff on the timeline early whenever I actually have time within my schedule to do it instead of waiting for a release, which sometimes helps get a new version of the Star Wars timeline gold wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, but there was some confusion and some frustration that if you follow 
the Facebook page for the Star Wars Timeline Gold and you're really into the nitty-gritty stuff, you probably should. It's facebook.com slash Gold. That kind of discussion doesn't usually show up on the Beyond the Films page. Um, there was a lot of frustration on my part trying to figure out how do we fit in Maul Lockdown with the events of Darth Plagueis and Cloak of Deception and the Dark Maul comic series and Shadowhunter and all of this stuff that's previously existing. And you get a timeline in the front of that book, plus in the front of Razor's Edge, plus in the front of Kenobi, that says that Lockdown is in 33 BBY, and it's listed after Shadowhunter. Well, that's lovely and all, except Shadowhunter isn't in 33 BBY. Shadowhunter is in that month from the beginning of 32 BBY to when Phantom Menace takes place in month number four. Remember, A New Hope being in month three, so there's that, that month gap there between the beginning of that year and Phantom Menace. Um, there's no way logically, that Lockdown happens after Shadowhunter and happens in 33 BBY. One can be true, the other one will not be because those are mutually exclusive things. So I'm trying to figure out how this fits, and I thought I'd figured out where there's a gap that it can actually fit within Darth Plagueis. And I was all excited about it. I finally figured it out. It makes sense to put it after Shadowhunter. I mean, story-wise, it doesn't make all that much sense, but it made sense from a, a timing perspective within the book, and I was all excited had already taken all of my information, and I was like, crap, you know, it was in one place. I realized that all these events that I listed, things like people's ages that were dating back from 33 BBY, crap, I need to move them so they're all dating back from 32 BBY. So everything was a year off. Went back and fixed all of them. And then uh, Arnold Corso, who's uh, known as the poli Jedi, happened to remind me, because he's read another copy, um, that doesn't work. Um, in the... the all the complex things that happen in Darth Plagueis, there is one thing that happens in terms of an attack on Darth Plagueis that it turns out ties into a major part of Lockdown that I didn't even notice because there's that much stuff happening in this time period. And I basically wound up having to go through looking at Cloak of Deception, looking at Plagueis, because Cloak of Deception's events are referenced in Lockdown. Maul talks about how um he would have liked to have been part of the assassination of the Trade Federation Directorate in Cloak of Deception. So it's past tense as of that point. I literally had to go through rereading parts of Cloak of Deception, rereading parts of Darth Plagueis, rereading parts of Lockdown, in order to figure out that apparently, and I've emailed Leland Chi on this, actually I emailed him a couple times on this whole issue sounding frantic and Whoa! so hopefully he's only read the last one that actually was logical, um, that basically, if you look at Darth Plagueis in Chapter 26, and in the hardback, you're looking at around page 300 to 310-ish. There's a gap on page 305. And basically what you got there is the chapter divided up into three chunks. One, Maul is talking about how Palpatine is on his way to Iriadu for the summit that takes place in Cloak of Deception. Second part, Palpatine has taken a detour to Naboo to talk to some conspirators before he heads on to Iriadu for the summit in Cloak of Deception. And then there's this big attack that happens on Plagueis in the third part of that chapter. Turns out that apparently the end of Cloak of Deception, or most of the end of Cloak of Deception, with the actual assassination and the entire novel, Maul Lockdown, have to take place between that second and third chunk of chapter 26. Otherwise, logically, it doesn't make sense. You literally have to drop an entire novel and such into that gap. And it's the same thing that happened with Life and Legend of Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you look at page 100, the gap on page 100, that's where the incognito short story goes. The gap on page 103, that's where the prologue to the Kenobi novel goes. The gap on page 110, that's where the rest of the Kenobi novel goes. And that's awesome when it all works. It's able to now, all connect real quick, real quick, by gap, do you mean just like those little breaks in the chapters? Yes. 
I mean when they double space and jump ahead to another point of view or another point in time slightly after what they were talking about previously, that oh. gap is where the story okay. fits. Um, and that's, again, it's great when it works and it's very intricate and it's very cool that they're able to make that work. But if I'm this seeped in chronology continuity and I had issues trying to figure it out, how are other readers who aren't as versed in it going to figure it out? Are they going to care? Are they going to get the connections? And more to the point, what about these authors who, yeah, they may be able to do research into, let's say, I mean, if I'm Joe Schreiber, I may be doing research into Cloak of Deception. I may be doing research into Darth Plagueis and such, reading through those to figure out how things might fit together. But he doesn't have time to go through and read 20 novels leading up into this stuff or tons of comics leading up into this stuff. He's a writer. He's got a job to do. Um, it's hard enough as a new fan jumping in and trying to read everything. Imagine being a writer trying to come in and read everything to catch up to make sure that what you write doesn't screw up something. Granted, that's why Leland Chi is there, but he's there to answer questions, not as a proofreader. Um, there is a, a point to those who say that continuity, while incredibly intricate with the flaws that it does have, if there is a chance at a clean break this time, it should be taken. Because continuity is so dense right now that otherwise, in Randy Stradley's words back in the day, uh, it stifles creativity in some cases to adhere to continuity, even though they're supposed to. Um, but in this case, if you're launching a new product line, why would you saddle yourself with a lot of previous continuity, especially stuff that is not only heavily dense, especially in times like the classic trilogy era where they don't have time to go to the bathroom, there's so many stinking stories. But also, um, why would you saddle yourself with elements of a continuity where giant chunks of it are being wiped out of existence every time a new movie gets released, a new cartoon gets released? So I think Marvel's in a position here where they're sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah. If they do something as a new continuity, they're going to have people screaming bloody murder saying, I will never read a Star Wars comic ever again. But at the same time, I don't see how they go forward Unless their choice is they're going to make their entire product line focused around the new characters of the new films or something so far in the future, so far in the past, in one of those existing gaps that they don't have a way to market off of the new products being released in film. You know, I mean, how do they do it? It's tough enough for Dark Horse and Del Rey to do it now, let alone see, going I into 2015 plus. I could see Marvel getting away with it because, you know, Del Rey seems to be the ones that are really focused on going back to the original characters and the comics weren't. I mean, in this regard, you know, they could continue to do, you know, like an ultimate universe where they will still work on the existing eras and stuff like that, fleshing those out. But, you know, you could have it where like the books only did current Luke stories, like books after Crucible, but never go back to any of the older stuff, you know, never go back but only push forward with that continuity and then have the new one where the books mainly focus on the new stuff. Maybe very rarely they give you another book, but the comics, they could, you know, be putting out both at the same time because they've got a bigger staff and that kind of stuff. But one of the points you were saying, you know, why would you want to go back? Well, I was thinking about this, like, you know, one of the, the benefits for Disney here, and, and it's a trend that's going around right now. Think of Harry Potter or, or the, uh, the shades of gray or, or any of those game of Thrones, you know, these books that, have been so successful that they get their own TV shows and movies, you know, Walking Dead. Uh, imagine a New Jedi Order, you know, movie series down the road where they, they're like, okay, you know, we had this really cool book series and we're going to, we're going to make it a series of movies. 
you know, in that regard, they could go back and do something like that. That would be the one upside. But I, I have to actually agree with you. I mean, it is time for that reboot. But as the defender of the EU, I want the reboot, but I don't want to see the universe I've invested so much in die off. I would be okay if they did the reboot and came back and, like I said, continue to flesh out the current Luke stories, let the comics flesh out the rest of the EU, but in the books, only go back and tell an older story in the old EU if it's needed. Like, maybe say Sev, uh, you know, what happened to him. You know, these stories that they don't actually have a conclusion to or events that, that were never finished, you know, what's going on with Jaden Core, things like that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that, that we would love to know. How did these stories wrap up? And if you're going to do that break, then it would be nice if you could, as a tribute to the, the, the time, the money, the energy, the emotions we've invested in this other universe, to continue to give us something in that as well. I mean, I know a lot of people, they don't, they're just animate against that reboot because they, they're just, they know that as soon as it happens, nothing else is going to happen in that other universe. That other universe is dead. It might as well never existed to a new fan. A lot of people will be coming in, they'll be like, well, you don't want to even touch this. It's so big, so convoluted, so messed up. Just stick with the new stuff. And a lot of people are worried about that. I'm one of them. You know, I mean, but the other side of that is, is there is a, a, a living, breathing universe here that's already here that we've already enjoyed. I mean, I mean, the newer fans that haven't read these books, they're not as worried as a fan like you and I, you know, somebody that's read it all and we're wanting more. And now we're like, well, are we going to get more of this? Or are we going to get more of that? And well, I don't have a problem with that. What's going on with this? Because this is fun. I like this. I do like that over there as well, but I really like this, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a really tough position when you're an EU fan of our level, you know? I mean, I, I want my cake and I want to eat it too, you know? And, and when I watch the film only fans having a heyday and, and living so carefree, it's like, I'm jealous. I wish, I wish I had the clarity to know what's going on so I could take the new news the way it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be happy news, not doom and gloom. And I'm trying not to be a doom and gloomer here, but you know, the, the, the lifeblood for me, the thing that's kept star Wars alive for me is it's on life support. You talk about the idea of, of taking stories that already exist in the EU and turn them into another medium and things like that. I think that's a, the same reason they wouldn't do that is the same reason why you're not going to see an episode seven based on, the Thrawn trilogy. Um, there's that level of lack of marketability. I mean, why would you retell a story that's already been told before in another medium that is so well known? It's the same reason why uh, Dark Horse only rarely did adaptations of novels. They did adaptations of Splinter of the Mind's Eye and of the Thrawn trilogy. Otherwise, they did tie-ins, but they didn't do adaptations. And if you have a series that does something like Legacy of the Force, you know, New Jedi Order, whatever... You run into the issue of it being another Clone Wars, slashing through everything, or not being able to focus on the characters people are wanting to see. Um, although I would say that there is some, there, there, there's some reason to be hopeful that maybe someday certain elements could be revisited. I doubt it. But if this is a clean break, we've seen this happen before. Remember, Star Wars is unusual because we have one continuity, or at least one primary one. Most franchises don't. Most franchises have a lot of different ones, and one of the most beloved continuities for both G.I. Joe and Transformers was the comics produced by, of all people, Marvel Comics. And sure enough, here, decades after they were canceled, eventually, uh, G.I. Joe being canceled long after 
Transformers, Transformers ending after issue number 80, minus some uh, Generation 2 stuff that's now apparently considered non-canonical, uh, at least for that continuity and all. Um, now IDW, I believe it is, has gone back, and now they've got Transformers Regeneration 1, G.I. Joe, a real American hero, where they're picking up literally where the Marvel series left off and continuing those storylines. In the case of both of them, getting back some of the original creative team to do it. Um, which is cool. And they do the same thing with some television series, for instance. I mean, uh, ironically, it is Dark Horse who is known for taking Buffy the Vampire Slayer and continuing it on into a new season that never existed on film. Same thing with yeah. new stories based on Firefly and Serenity. Um, it's just that I'm not sure that they would want to do that with a new continuity being built around at the same time. Um, and what bothers me, what worries me, I guess, is whether there would be a new continuity being built. Star Wars is thought of as unique in its approach to the idea that everything must fit or it's supposed to fit. Comics, novels, video games, etc., etc. Okay? Marvel doesn't do that, even under Disney. I mean, you take the Marvel films, and this is the, the, the model they're saying they're going to do with the Star Wars films. Think of them as phases. Well, with Marvel, it was... You know, here's Iron Man to introduce Iron Man. Here's Hulk to introduce Hulk. Um, here's uh, Thor to introduce Thor and Loki. Um, here's Iron Man 2 to introduce... Oh, sorry, Thor also introduced Hawkeye. Here's uh, Iron Man 2 to introduce Black Widow into the mix. Here's Captain America to introduce the Tesseract and to introduce Captain America into the mix. Now we're going to pull all those strings together that we've laid out and make Avengers. And now they're doing Thor the Dark World and Iron Man 3 and uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, all leading up to Avengers 2, the Age of Ultron. And those are all meant to fit together. Just like I, I would assume all these new Star Wars films are meant to fit together, not only with themselves, but with the previous films. The episodes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and whatever the hell they're going to call those spinoffs that have um, the origin stories and such that they're saying they're going to put in between um, the, the releases of episodes 7, 8, and 9, where they're saying they want to try to make one Star Wars film at least per year. But when I look at Marvel, and I think continuity, I think the ultimate Marvel line of comics, the original Marvel universe of comics, um, when I think of the Marvel movies, they have comics a lot of times related to them, being released as promotional tools, like uh, you know, X-Men the Movie Prelude or whatever it was called back in the day. Um, but they're just little winky-dink stories that have little meaning that usually are by creative teams that aren't all that great. They're just made to make a buck off the movie. And there's only a handful of them surrounding each film. And there's never actually a continuity outside of the films built around the film's timeline, the film's reality. That's my fear. That with Marvel, we may get something where, yeah, we've got Star Wars comics, but they are sort of a world unto themselves, and there is no more connection between them and the novels than there tend to be with a lot of the Marvel comics and novels based on Marvel characters. Um, Marvel has yet to show us that they're able to do this. And granted, they haven't really had that much of an opportunity because the Marvel films have all been based on pre-existing stories. Right. I mean, even back in the day when the Marvel films first started not sucking with uh, Spider-Man one from Sony, um, with uh, X-Men one from Fox. Uh, it took a while for them to eventually get to Iron Man and such for the uh, uh, the the actual stuff being produced through Marvel Studios, through Disney and all that. Um, you know, even before that, 
you're looking at films that were based on a pre-existing story, so they had to sort of reinvent the origins. They pulled sort of an ultimate Marvel, reinvented the origins, and went on from there. But that meant that the films, by necessity, weren't in the continuity of the comics that existed before, and the comics that were existed based on them weren't mixed in with the other comics from before. It's just, it, I've, I haven't seen Marvel do anything, or Disney with one of their properties do anything that intricately connects multiple media that includes movies. And it makes me wonder if what we're going to get is not as some have termed it an EU2, with kind of a nod to Joe Harrison, who used that term for doing his audio dramas back in the day, but not an EU version 2, but perhaps no real EU continuity at all. That instead of it being G, T, C, S, and N levels of canon, and perhaps the F canon of uh, Brian Wood, um, that instead we'd have this is the M timeline, the Marvel timeline. This is the H or whatever timeline, the Hyperion or whoever it is that winds up making the books timeline. And they simply say, you know what? We are back to the 70s and 80s. The Marvel stuff doesn't have to reference anything. The films don't have to go by the Marvel stuff because if they go separate, fine, then that's just a different continuity that we're dealing with, a different timeline you're dealing with. Don't expect the movies to mix with the comics and vice versa or the novels, etc., etc. Um that that's my fear that instead of if we're going to use yeah. the Obamacare example, if instead of it being, um, we either fix it or we repeal and replace, it'd be like if our approach to healthcare was well, we're not going to fix Obamacare, we're not going to repeal and replace Obamacare. Instead, we're going to repeal it and we're going to give everybody lollipops and tell them to think happy thoughts as healthcare. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, you definitely paint a scary picture there. I mean. You know, one one thing I always hear a lot of people say when when I mention you know multiverse, no crossovers, and you know I, I have to oh, admit God, with them. Oh God, please no, please yeah, God no, no crossovers. Luke crap. Or or even even like Luke meeting Luke. I mean, you know, Marvel does a lot of that. Uh, uh, let's see, Peter they Parker just and had, Morales, right? Spider yeah, Man. There, yeah, right there. That's that one. Um, they just had the Age of Ultron, where Wolverine travels back in time to kill Hank Pym. Kills Hank Pym. Goes back to the future, realizes, uh oh, by killing Hank Pym, we've created an alternate timeline so much worse that we got to go back. So he goes back and then kills himself before he kills Hank Pym. It's like, wait, what? It just, you know, one of those things where I don't want to see anything convoluted like that. You know, I mean, Star Wars is staying away from, you know, backwards time travel as much as they can. Granted, we did have flow walking and stuff like that, but. They've, they've gone out of their way to avoid those kind of crossovers and stuff. I mean, the closest we got to a crossover, I think, is in Tales, where we saw Han crash the Millennium Falcon back in the, uh, you know, the Endor Forest down in the Redwoods. And it turns out that Han Solo got dead and had turned into a bunch of bones. Chewie's out in the woods, kind of protecting the Falcon as it's crashed up in the trees. And who's that down below but one Indiana Jones that's looking for the relics of this ancient tribe type thing. And like, you know, I mean, that one kind of worked because it was never meant to be taken serious. But Marvel takes crossover serious. And I would not like to see a crossover because of this. I mean, you know, right. that could be parked and put off to the side. And and if you think it's, it's oh, that would never happen. Wasn't there a Star Trek meets X-Men at some Absolutely. point? Absolutely. I and, have the book. It worked in the book. <laughs> and, you know, the reason why a lot of the uh, early reprint trade paperbacks of uh, the Transformers comics from Marvel, a lot of them were missing issue number three. Why? Because Spider-Man was in it. Because Spider-Man goes and meets the Transformers. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that I definitely don't want to see is a bunch of the Marvel crossover stuff. Now, time travel, uh, ways to create alternate timelines, as much as that doesn't feel like Star Wars now, remember that the way that... I'm saying remember to the listeners out there, I, mean, I know you know this. Um, the reason why we define Star Wars as something without time travel is, or in most cases without time travel, is like you said, they've tried to avoid it. But that was a conscious decision made by Dark Horse and Del Rey and Bantam and, and that sort of thing. Who's to say that if the EU, as we know it, had been crafted by perhaps different editors back in the day, that they wouldn't have had those types of things. I like the idea of Star Wars actually having what Infinities used to call it, a world of infinite possibilities. Um, that they could do all kinds of different stuff. They could do time travel if they really wanted to or something, as long as it all is something that is taken seriously to make sense and not just thrown out there as goofy stuff to make a buck. You know, treat it the way that they treated, in a lot of ways, the original Marvel Star Wars series most of the time. Treat it the way they treat the ultimate Marvel stuff. Treat it with seriousness uh, so that people can get into it, follow it, and feel like they're doing right by the franchise. Uh, would I like to see crossovers? As long as they're not in continuity, I'm not sure that it would matter so much. But don't give us any ones that are, you know, they're designed as direct continuity type crossovers. Please, you know, leave that out. We don't need, you know, Luke Skywalker to be helped out by Professor Charles Xavier because Yoda and Obi-Wan aren't around. Um, nothing <laughs> like that, hopefully. You know, one other thing that I worry about is Marvel's got this digital only, uh, you know, they've got this, uh, AR reader thing they got, they've got a lot of cool stuff, but at the same time, they do a lot of digital only type things. And as a, you know, I'm a physical collector. I like to have a physical copy. So I'm concerned about that. Like, I, I, I like the, the options it gives you with the AR, like there's this little, uh, logo in the bottom. And if you have the app on your phone, if you take your phone's camera and scan over it, you know, you'll get like some behind the scenes or some additional details, things like that. Another thing they do that's cool is you'll get a lot of issues where you'll buy the issue and it comes with a free digital copy. Uh, Dark Horse was doing that for like three or four of the first issues of uh, Star Wars Volume 2. But beyond that, they stopped. So, I mean, Marvel's got some good things there, but that digital only has me worried, which, which gets to the whole aspect of, you know, what's going on with, with Dark Horse's digital too. Well, when it comes to Marvel, from what I understand, a lot of their digital-only stuff is that in that uh, infinite comics imprint, right? That's something where they're specifically, I mean, they're letting you know this imprint is just these stories. And those aren't in continuity with everything else, are they, for a Marvel standpoint? That, you know, that's a good question because I don't have any of the only ones because, you know, if I don't go down to my comic store and they don't have it for me to buy there, I I don't usually do much online shopping. So... You know, the only digital copies I have are the free ones that came with it. So I really don't know. I will say that uh, I'm kind of glad if we're if we're talking digital comics, I'm kind of glad that the digital comics would be coming through um, Marvel because Marvel's actually got two pretty good setups when it comes to digital comics. They've got a Comixology app of their own and they're through Comixology, which basically means that they're using the same app that pretty much everybody but Dark Horse uses for digital comics. So if I'm sitting there and I want to go through my comic collection, I can go through Marvel stuff, uh, the old Boom Studios, which I think was bought out by Marvel, uh, DC stuff, I can go to Walking Dead from Image, and all this stuff I can go to through just the Comixology app. And yes, there's a separate app just for Marvel, but all it is is Comixology just with some of the options stripped out for other publishers. Same thing for DC Comics. They also have a thing called Marvel Unlimited, which is a separate app that basically gives you access to an enormous 
back issue library of Marvel stuff. Like, like he said, I'm big into the Ultimate Marvel stuff. I went through and reread the entire Ultimate Marvel run from everything before Ultimatum up to Ultimatum, and I'm slowly reading some of the stuff afterwards by getting that Marvel Unlimited app. And except for a few times there were issues that they actually didn't have on the app at the time, I was able to read hundreds of comics all straight off of there that I wanted to read without paying extra for them. And it's something like, uh, I think now it's like 70 bucks for a year or it's monthly for 10 bucks. I mean, it's actually a really good setup so you're not buying individual digital comics all the time. And they usually have new stuff within a few months of it actually coming out on newsstands. About the same amount of time you'd wait for it to show up on a trade paperback form. Um, with Dark Horse, they have the Dark Horse digital app, their own digital comic app. And I have never seen a digital comic app that is as clunky and crashes as many times as that one. I am so glad Star Wars Comics digitally will be getting the hell away from the Dark Horse digital app. That being said, though, there is the question, what if I bought, and this is something we talked about when we talked about e-readers and such. What if I've got my digital products that I've bought through one platform, and then the platform goes defunct or the company goes defunct? What happens to my stuff? And this is a real fear. For Star Wars fans, because, uh, for instance, when the license for Star Wars uh, role-playing games and such jumped from Wizards of the Coast and eventually went to Fantasy Flight Games, all of Wizards of the Coast's awesome Star Wars archives of great information and, and adventures and stuff that they had up on their website vanished, basically overnight. Um, we've seen a lot of stuff do that even without license changes, like when StarWars.com got changed around into the dumbed-down Pretty Pictures website that it is now you wind up losing a ton of the old short stories and stuff from hyperspace. So there was some question, okay, if they're not allowed to be the publisher of Star Wars comics as of uh, basically the beginning of 2015, can I still buy them in stores? And if I have them digitally, what happens to my old purchases, and can I continue to purchase through the digital app? What they have clarified since the announcement is that when it comes to physical copies, um, they will not be allowed to publish anymore come December, or well, come the end of December as we get into 2015. So uh, there will not be multiple reprintings of stuff that's probably out at the moment or coming out because they wouldn't be able to sell off probably their entire inventory of an entire reprint run of something before they get around to the time where the license is supposed to be wrapped up. They will have a limited time where they're allowed to take their back stock that they still have sitting there and sell those off. So like, let's say they've got you know, a thousand copies left of a particular issue of, I don't know, Agent of the Empire, they could still technically sell that off up to a certain point. I would expect some serious sales right near the end uh, of 2015 as far as their comics go. Um, yeah, comic stores will be sitting in in real pretty zone because they'll be able to get a good deal, hold on to these and sell them on their shelves for years to come because they're not going to be in trouble, right? Right, right. It, uh, it comic store, anybody who's a retailer who's got them as part of their back stock, yeah, they're fine to sell them eBay, you know, whatever. Um, from the standpoint of uh, collected editions, they're looking into right now whether or not it would be possible to do any more collections after the release uh, or after the end of 2014. Right now, it's looking like the answer to that is no, because that would be technically publishing a new publication, even if it's one that just collects old ones, because it gets its own new ISBN number and that sort of thing. So it looks like that well is probably a no. How does that work with, with, like, didn't Dark Horse produce omnibuses of old Marvel comics? Uh, and that's the other thing. Um, when it comes to the way the contract works with Dark Horse, and I forget who said this, it was either Randy Straley or Mike Richardson, I believe. Um, but the way the contract with Lucasfilm and Dark Horse worked, Marvel 
could reprint old Dark Horse stuff if they wanted to, but to do so, they would have to purchase all of the original image files from Dark Horse. It does not go immediately, <laughs> automatically with the contract. They would have to buy that entire back library of anything that they wanted to reprint. I'm not sure how it worked with Dark Horse when it came to reprinting stuff like the newspaper strips and the Marvel stuff, but I've got to bet that that was a completely different wording of the contract because I can't imagine Dark Horse in their early days dropping that kind of cash to bring those over. They may have, but it seems like there was probably a difference of the way that the contract was set up. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, so no reprints probably of Dark Horse stuff through Marvel, at least not in the near future. And then as for digital stuff, basically what they said is that this is not going to be like what happened with THQ closed. Right? THQ closed, all of a sudden you can't get access to a bunch of Star Wars games you bought for your mobile device and such. This is going to work like sometimes happens with video games that are digital, like through PSN or Xbox Live. Um, Xbox Live Arcade, I guess they call it. Um, essentially what's going to happen is as of January 2015, you will no longer be able to buy Star Wars digital comics through the Dark Horse digital app. However, anything that you have already purchased, if you go into the app, you got your bookshelf that's on the device, and then you've got a button down in the corner called Cloud. You click that, and that shows all your previous purchases that you can re-download to read if you don't have them on that device. You will still be able to see your Star Wars purchases in that Cloud storage. So think of it sort of as the same thing as you bought the comic and stuck it on your bookshelf at home, if Dark Horse isn't producing Star Wars comics anymore, that doesn't mean you can't walk over to your bookshelf and pull it down and read it still. Um, this is really the first big test of this type of thing when it comes to digital media and major science fiction franchises and such. And at least at this moment, Dark Horse is going to keep them available. Now, how long will they be available? Will they be available forever as long as Dark Horse has the Dark Horse digital app? They haven't given a time frame on it, but at least for the foreseeable future, if you bought them, yes, you could still get them that way. If you haven't bought them, no, you won't be able to get more, which again makes me think that by the end of the year, there'll be a massive, you know, buy all these Star Wars comics for like 20 bucks or whatever type of sale, even bigger than some of the ones that they have done previously. But if you've already bought them, like I have with some, never fear, you'll still be able to get access to them or fear because yes, you'll still have access, but it'll be to that crappy crashing Dark Horse digital app. Well, you know, another fear, though, that I was having is because of the new digital age, you know, say say of the comic book consumers out there, just just for rough numbers, say half of them are on a digital library. Now they stopped getting physical copies. Now you have what three years ago or before the digital age happened, 100 percent worth of comics. Now you have half of it. So now that all those digital ones disappear, now you only have half the amount of physical copies that you would have had available for other people to purchase. There is one negative of the digital age right there with this whole publishing rights because you know now you can't buy more digital copies so you're forced to buy physical but there's less physical that were ever printed because more people bought online. You know, I mean, it makes me think of the uh the special uh 25th or was it 30th anniversary Dark Horse hardcovers they came out with where there was literally only as many as were ordered. They weren't reprinting them. They weren't going to do anything like that. They weren't going to, you know, make extras. It was literally however many were ordered. That's how many we're making and we're not doing it again. And, you know, in this case, it's like, man, there, there's less physical copies because of that digital market out there. And if something like happened to the cloud or something like that, and those people lost all those, there wouldn't be enough physical copies of these comics for everybody out there, which would make those copies worth more money to the collectors. So, I mean, there's that aspect of it, too, that, that you know, could be factored in as well. 
Right, and that goes into also this whole question of how many Star Wars comics will there be? Uh, you've got a lot of Star Wars comics that a lot of times were out at once. Um, you know, five, six different series at once. And we're not even talking about just in the, the big glut of things around Phantom Menace, for instance. I mean, we're talking about recently. There's been quite a few Star Wars comics running at the same time, although sometimes they alternate back and forth in terms of, you know, one goes on hiatus, the other one comes in, and then back and forth and back and forth. Um, but, you know, unless Marvel is going to make Star Wars a major part of their publishing line, I mean, we're talking, if they're going to have that many comics, we're talking something of the level of the X-Men family, the Spider-Man family of comics. If, if Marvel's not going to put Star Wars up there with them as a flagship brand, then we're probably looking at less Star Wars comics per month and per year than we're tending to see right now. There's also some question as to availability of Star Wars uh, comics in bookstores. Because I believe, if I remember seeing the sales data correctly, um, Dark Horse was even higher than Marvel, even though Marvel is the number one comic publisher um, for the direct market for comic shops and such. Um, they were below Dark Horse when it comes to trade paperback type things being sold in actual book stores rather than comic book specialty stores. Um, how available will the trade paperbacks be to the general public type of audience? As for the digital stuff, I would hope that they're going to go and take those and and collect them, but that's definitely not a guarantee. Uh, one of the best comics I'm reading right now that's not Star Wars, in fact, one of the only comics I'm reading right now that's not Star Wars, is Injustice Gods Among Us by Tom Taylor, the guy who did Star Wars Invasion. Uh, it's a storyline that ties into the video game of the same name where basically Superman is a power-mad dictator um, because of events that happen at the beginning of the game and at the beginning of the comic series. Um, it's a very different universe there and Batman sort of the uh the opposition to him at that point incredibly good series in that case they're doing a digital first thing where you get one issue each week but each issue is actually only about a third of the size of a regular comic book cost 99 cents and then they collect them into a print comic with three of them in it at a time and sell them as a regular comic book and then eventually a trade paperback that includes several different issues, which means a crap ton of the little digital ones. That kind of thing makes sense. If you're going to do it digital, you could do it as a digital first, get people excited about it week after week after week, keep us reading at a cheaper price. And if we want to print copy, we could get the print copy, even though that's going to mean a lot of us winding up buying them, you know, early to read them digitally, only to wind up paying again to get them in print. But at least the option is there. But I think of stuff, for instance, like not even with Marvel or DC, but with Dark Horse uh, and Star Wars comics. I'm not even sure if Dark Horse had a, had a role in it. I'm assuming they did because it was a comic. But look back at the Clone Wars cartoon series. We had a season one with a web strip to go with each episode. Half the time the web strips had to explain something that didn't make sense in the episode. And those got <laughs> collected into Tales from the Clone Wars, which was a celebration exclusive for a particular celebration. Um, but at least it was there. But the other two storylines to come, the one that was released as a webcomic serialized during Season 3, the one that before that was serialized in Season 2, those have never been collected in print form. Heck, uh, speaking of webcomics, that webcomic uh, Pod Racing Tales from years ago only just recently got collected in the Omnibus Wild Space Volume 2, which is one that I'm actually going to swing around and make sure that I finally purchase because I was iffy on it, and I want to make sure that I get a copy as long as they're still out there. Um, but it is a valid concern to be afraid that what if we have something that's digital and 
it disappears in print form. There's always the ability to do backup files. Uh, if you don't know this, if you have your your camera or device, or if you have an iDevice, especially an Apple device, you can generally take screenshots of whatever's showing up on your screen. So, I mean, if you've got a comic that you want to make sure you don't wind up losing a copy of and it's 22 pages, take 22 pictures. And you've got essentially a backup of it, especially if you have a PDF compiler. Um, and you can put it. That's how I've still got copies of the StarWars.com uh, Clone Wars web strips that they never wound up taking in and republishing anywhere. I saved them each time as separate JPEGs and combined them into a PDF, and it's sitting on my giant directory of Star Wars stuff so that I can have access to them for the timeline. Um, but I don't know. I, I would hope that that's not going to be as big a deal, but if it if it is a big deal, I don't think it'll be any more of a big issue for Star Wars than it is for any other franchise. I can't see them treating Star Wars so differently that a lot of stuff comes out digital only and we get stuck without print verts. Because, I mean, they're in the business of making money. so they're going to do whatever it is that's the most profitable for them in their other lines with Star Wars, I would expect. Well, and speaking of making money and profit, uh, both Dark Horse and Marvel recently in the last months increased their prices. Um, you know, Star Wars comics, they did tend to be about $3, $3.50, uh, you know, $2.99 on that side. But now they're, they're all seeming to be about $3.50, whereas Marvel, their $2.99 comics all went up to $3.99. Their $3.99 comics all went up to $4.99. Now, if Star Wars comics are right now at 350. I would assume Marvel's going to jack that up to the the 399 price. Uh, I could I could definitely see the price of your Star Wars comics raising as soon as it goes over to Marvel. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's going to depend on how they just set up their price structure and such. I know on digital comics, I have looked it up as we were sitting here. Um, you take an example like uh, All New X Men, and you said All New X Men was originally what price and went to what? It used to be two ninety nine and went up to three ninety nine, as did the Scarlet Spider. Okay, in digital format for those, at least looking at the Comicsology app, which again is the same thing essentially as the Marvel Comics digital comic app, just with the option of other titles pulled out of it. Um, not to be confused with Marvel Unlimited, that's a different thing. Uh, in this case, I'm seeing uh, prices on issues eleven upward as three ninety nine. So in keeping with that price change, although one thing I have noticed also is that. Uh, if you look back at issue 10, issue 9, going on backwards, and you look at a lot of comics that are about a year old in digital form, and a lot of times they'll drop the price, because in those cases, um, the first 10 issues of that series are actually $1.99. Uh, and it turns out also that a lot of times for digital comics, the first issue of a new series, once it's gone on for about a year, will tend to drop to either $1.99 or just $0.99. Cents. So that yeah. is one good thing. If you're looking for back issues digitally, Usually you can get a better deal than you will for back issues if you go to a comic shop in print because they're going to want at least the cover price, if not more. Well, typically what happens there, it depends on the comic store. Like my comic store, they have these long boxes underneath that they keep the back issues. And if like, like say they order a whole bunch of one series and they don't sell very well and they have them and they've been sitting on them for a year or two, you can sometimes find them for like 50 cents or a quarter. It depends on the comic shop because they just want to move them at that point. So it's nice to see that the digital is doing something comparative to that because the comic book stores, like I said, it's hit or miss as to what kind of a deal you can get to. I've gone down to mine uh, and sometimes they'll do like, you know, like a Black Friday special and everything in those boxes are like less than a quarter. You can buy three of them for a quarter, stuff like that. And then they'll also do a lot of reprints where they'll put out the number one issue at a dollar just to try to get people to get back and buy into that old stuff. Because, you know, you get a lot of those third printings, second printings, that kind of stuff, too. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions, obviously, about exactly how this is all going to pan out. Uh, I think we could say for sure that you're going to start, if you're getting Star Wars digital comics, you'll be getting them through the 
Comixology app or one of the apps that are based on that parent app. Um, we will start to see, obviously, the Dark Horse stuff dwindling, as we are apparently seeing Del Rey stuff at the moment dwindling. There's no guarantee of a new continuity, though I would expect that there probably will be one. Um, but at least if you have purchased digital comics through the Dark Horse app previously, um, you will still have access to those. And I would actually find, I find it kind of interesting sitting back. It seems as though Fantasy Flight Games, the gaming contract, is the one that seems like it's the most solid right now. Um, because it doesn't seem to be dwindling. But at the same time, I have to sit back and wonder. I mean, they've announced stuff like uh, Jewel of Yavin, which is a, uh, an adventure for the Edge of the Empire game. They've announced uh, Age of Rebellion, the uh, Rebels versus Imperials version of the RPG. And then you got the Jedi-focused one, Force and Destiny, coming out later. Um, but they may not use a whole lot of EU stuff in those source books and such outside of species and whatnot. But I'm thinking about their card game. Their card game, the LCG, from time to time, uses things like the character of Mara Jade and whatnot in there. Uh, I believe Cole Sarah shows up at one point mentioned uh, from Renegade Squadron. Kind of makes me wonder what's going to happen to them. Even if they keep the license for the games for the foreseeable future, what happens if the EU gets basically rewritten and Mara Jade no longer exists? And yet they've got Mara Jade cards and such in the card game. Will they, they take her out? Will they wind up creating sort of a separate line of new products based on the, uh, the new films and such? And hey, you can decide which ones you want to play with. That'll be an interesting one to see. Um, same thing with the X-Wing game. I mean, at the moment, there's only one EU-based vehicle in the X-Wing game, and that's the uh, HWK-290. That's the one based on the Moldy Crow. But a lot of the pilots are EU pilots, especially with things like the b -Wing. I mean, we're talking about pilots that came from the X-Wing Rogue Squadron comic books in some cases. Um, gotta wonder if that's going to cause any reshuffling over there, or if they're just going to consider it par for the course, and just keep on going and assume that their games are always just meant to be fun battle games and not really a story or a timeline anyway. Well, it could be one of those Star Trek II Into Darkness things, you know, where we see rehashed, reused, kind of like the George Lucas model where what he did with the Clone Wars, you know? I'm going to take Quinlan Voss, but I'm going to remake Quinlan Voss. I'm going to take Aaliyah Secura. I'm going to remake Aaliyah Secura. I mean, you know, it, when they do a reboot or a, or a restart, you know, that is a potential possibility. I know there are a lot of fans out there that don't want to see characters and situations and stuff be retold or retold with a new spin on it in the new continuity if they go that route. Oh, Lord! See, they could do it. They could do exactly like they did with Star Trek Into Darkness. They could take in a character like uh, Will Tarson from Rebellion, right, um, and make him white. Do exactly like they did in Star Trek Into Darkness. And then maybe you could have a scene um, where you have a character, um, uh, you know, you could take the uh, death scene uh, with Face and his partner in uh, X-Wing, and you could just flip around who it was that was dying and who it was that was crying and that well, sort could of thing. You just you can just see Talone cards a female. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or, some, or instead of Ganner doing the whole none shall pass type of thing, um, have it be something where somebody else is in that place saying none shall pass and we're supposed to like it just because, well, we remember the original version where he said it. Um, con! Anyway. Well, I mean, that's what we did with the Clone Wars. Like, hey, Quinlan Voss is showing up. And we're all like, yeah! Wait, what? He's a beach <laughs> bum now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Greedo, yes, we said Greedo. And so I guess we're kind of getting uh, a little ahead of ourselves here. But yeah, suffice to say, um, times they are a-changing, and 
Um, given the way, here's the good news, I guess. Assuming that Marvel is going to get their money's worth with this change, and they are going to come right out of the gate with Star Wars titles from Marvel as early as January 2015, we're not going to have to wait until January of 2015 to know what those titles are going to be. Not only will they be announcing things, of course, I'm sure, with all the big fanfare and whatnot, but if you're not familiar with the comic industry, there's a magazine called Previews, uh, Diamond Comics Previews, or the Diamond Comics website, um, which is usually the first place people find solicitations for new issues of upcoming comics. That's how we know about Rebel Heist coming out in April, because it's in the solicitations for it. It's how we know that certain series are going to go on after a certain point, at least without, before the creators told us, because there's already solicitations for issue number whatever. Though, at least for Dark Horse at this point, we can't necessarily take everything that they solicit as locked in, because if they solicited something for post December 2014, it would have to be gone. I'm, I'm remembering the, with mild amusement, Dark Empire being solicited as, I believe it was a three-issue miniseries coming from Marvel before Marvel lost the license and it wound up jumping over to Dark Horse, and Dark Horse then sort of retooled it and presented it as six issues. Um, but surely we'll hear a lot about what Marvel is planning in the coming months. It won't be January 2015, when we finally figure out what they're going to do. The other thing, though, about this, it tells me there's a plan. You know, I mean, Marvel's obviously working on their comics for 2015 as of right now, I would hope. Or are they doing something like Rebellion, or not Rebellion, uh, Republic? How, remember in the earlier ones with uh, Kai Adamundi, where some of the things in there didn't quite jive with what we got in the actual prequels when they came out because they were left in the dark. Like they had some information and we had, you know, the character that, that really wasn't even a focus character, but they were making him the focus character of their comic series. I mean, you know, is there an actual plan or is Marvel doing the same thing? Are they just creating their own characters and hoping that they may show up or were they given like, Hey, here's a couple side characters roll with that. I, I mean, I don't know the, the, the positive side of me wants to say there is a plan here and that they're already working on it and that, that first year of Marvel Comics will probably be really solid because they've had all this time to work on it, I would hope. See, I don't know, because, I mean, the, the comic turnaround kind of depends on the artist and depends on, you know, what kind of contract that particular creative team has gotten. Because, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of, uh, like, Jan Dersima, for instance, right now, as we record this, as far as I know, is still finishing up the final pencils for the last issue of Force War which is due out in like three months. So you don't have that long of a gap between a story being written and the story acts or the story being drawn and written and actually winding up showing up in stores. Though I would think with the approval process, it might take a little bit longer, add a little bit of time onto that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, isn't the last we heard that they still don't have a script for episode seven, and it, the script itself is not supposed to actually be finalized until at least this month, and then they're going to yeah. start casting and doing everything else. That that does lead toward the negative there, doesn't? It? I mean, D- Del Rey has been told, you know, wait till the movies come out, and then we'll tell you what's going forward. I mean, so it, it does seem a little presumptuous of Marvel to be ready to crank out, you know, product on a on a story arc that they have no clue of. I mean that that actually kind of leads more to they don't have a plan and that we're going to continue to watch the zombie EU do what the zombie EU has been doing since ninety something. Although, wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting? And I I, I don't think this is going to happen, but it just popped into my mind as kind of a huh, you know, conspiracy theory type thing. Boy, if Star Wars Volume Two or Star Wars whatever was meant 
to be a reboot. And it was being released by Dark Horse and is going to have 20 issues. Wouldn't it be interesting if it turns out that is the beginning of a new continuity and Marvel picks up by having purchased the rights, or maybe even got the rights at the beginning, to re-release those and give a direct continuation of that. Maybe they will pick up on some previous continuity, but not the broader EU, the tiny bit that's already being laid out through Dark Horse, if that was what that was originally intended to be. Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would make for an interesting way to dovetail Dark Horse into Marvel and be able to say that they've got continuity with Dark Horse stuff without necessarily having to adhere to the previous continuity that is so large uh, and possibly restraining for them. Yep. But that feels like a plan. I, I'm okay with that. Like, I think that... Yeah, at I least there's like, if, that. if that's a plan, at least it's a plan, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some clarity there. I am okay with that. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy in my fandom. Soldier, your plan of action might wind up getting us all killed. But dang it, at least you got a plan and the last guy didn't and you just got us dead. But, folks, we want to know what you think about this as well. We are currently gearing up, if there's enough feedback about this, and I bet there will be, to have a special feedback episode about your thoughts on this issue and any additional things that happen to come up in the couple weeks between now and then. But here's the trick. Now, in order to do this in a timely fashion, we're going to need you to get in your feedback, though, emailed to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. We might grab some from the Facebook page, but to be honest with you, it's much easier for you to send it in email so we can have it all condensed and right there in front of us. Uh, don't have to hunt anything down. SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Get in your feedback by the evening of January 25th, because we will be then recording that episode on January 26th. If it comes in after the 25th, we won't have the time to gather it together to use it in the episode. But your thoughts along with any other updates we have to the situation, will all appear in that episode recorded on the 26th and more than likely released right around January 31st. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our own Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And of course, you can already start liking the page for our upcoming podcast, Rebels Roundtable, that'll be combining the teams from this show and Republic Forces Radio Network to check out Star Wars Rebels. You can find that on Facebook at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. You can also find the Star Wars Timeline Gold on Facebook, facebook.com slash swtimelinegold, mentioned earlier in the show. Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. 
So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. And of course, if you want to check out that Amazon.com store my wife and I run, it's Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Joe Collectibles, L-I-L-J-O Collectibles, all as one word. Things from my collection there, things from her collection there, just uh, oddball items in case you're looking for something new to add to your collection. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark Whistler And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening in. May the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. The continuity as we know it will still exist post-December 2014. Or that we'll see the old EU continue on post-reboot. <laughs>